Welcome to this week's episode. Before I dive into the content, I realized after recording this episode with Megan Stevenson, who you'll meet in just a moment, that I probably needed to give some context to our conversation before you listen to our discussion. And especially if you are new and you're not all that familiar with the world of publishing, I want to give you a little bit of a high-level overview of the types of publishing and then share my opinion on publishing. So roughly, there are three types of publishing, traditional publishing, self-publishing, and hybrid publishing. Traditional publishing is what you think of when you think of a book deal. So, you know, the big publishers that have a lot of uh, power behind them to get books in people's hands. They're also gatekeepers, so they often don't let people into their club, right? So it can be very difficult to get a deal with a publisher. Then there's self-publishing, which it wasn't always a thing that you could easily self-publish. Now, people have been self-publishing forever, not forever, ever, but you know what I mean. Only in the last 10-ish years has, eh, maybe a little bit longer, but really thinking about technology, I would say roughly 10-ish years has it become really actually pretty easy for many people to self-publish. Now, the way that you self-publish can vary widely from, you know, uploading a file to Amazon essentially to really doing it professionally, which is what I advocate for. And then kind of in the middle of those two is something called hybrid publishing. This is where you work with a publisher, but it's not like a traditional publisher where they hopefully pay you in advance and they take care of the expenses related to your book. You are paying that publisher, the hybrid publisher, to produce your book. And I personally have worked with a number of hybrid publishers for my clients and even for myself. And I am, I'm a fan of hybrid publishing, of self-publishing and of traditional publishing. The thing that I want to say before you listen to this week's episode is that self-publishing and hybrid publishing are valid and viable ways to get your ideas out there into the world. Many authors enter into the world of publishing, the whole this whole big new universe uh, of writing and publishing and marketing, all the things that have to do with getting your ideas out there and into the world. And they're really set on the idea of a traditional publishing deal. And while I agree that that is a phenomenal pathway, if it works in your specific situation, the other reality is that many people will spend a lot of time and energy pursuing that pathway when it's maybe actually not the best fit for them. And so what I would love for you to kind of hold as you listen to this episode is that when self-publishing or hybrid publishing is done well, it's executed with excellence, you use professionals, you can really create a beautiful, powerful, excellent book that you are deeply proud to share with the world. And you can actually achieve many of the things that you might achieve with traditional publishing. You can launch a speaking career, you can grow an audience, you can really make the impact that you're meant to on this world. So I'm wanting to give that little reframe because I'm I'm really excited to give you this conversation with Megan because she's going to pull back the veil a little bit and help us see some of the the things that are unknown about traditional publishing and about, you know, getting and actually landing a book deal. And I want you to as you listen really recognize that there are so many options out there. The other thing I want to say is that traditional publishing, and I would say many hybrid publishers too, they're really concerned about the market marketability of, of a book. And for the people that I work with, my clients, my students, most of them, I would say all of my clients and most of my students are working toward a big vision. That book is a catalyst toward that big vision, which means that the book does need to be marketable, right? Because you need to get it in people's hands. But I am also at the core of my core, a writer, and I believe deeply in the power of writing for writing's sake as well. So I also don't want you to leave this episode thinking that if a book isn't marketable, 
it's not a valid goal or it's not a valid endeavor. You just need to be really realistic about what's on the other end of it. Maybe it is a legacy project that you hand to your family, or maybe it's a journey that you take on your own and that's okay too. So there are a lot of different paths that you can take in the process of writing your book and potentially publishing it, sharing it with the world. So all of that said, this is a really informative, useful episode, especially if you are considering pursuing traditional publishing. If you're not necessarily considering that path, I still think it's really valuable information for you because you're going to learn about platform, positioning, marketing, some of those pieces that are inherent to a nonfiction book proposal. So with all of that said, <laughs> I really, really hope you enjoy this episode with Megan Stevenson. Um, I'm going to introduce her in just a moment. And at the end of this, just reflect back on what you learned, check in with what your personal goals are, and do more research. What I hope with all of the episodes that I do is that if it gives you a little bit of what you need, or even a lot of bit of what you need, that it also inspires you to go on, learn more, do some further education so that you can make a really, really good anchored, intelligent decision moving forward with your book. So with all that said, I'm going to officially hand it over to our interview. Welcome to Beyond Better, a podcast that explores a simple but profound idea. We all deserve to live lives we love, and that includes our work lives too. I'm Stacey Ennis, an author and longtime location-independent entrepreneur living in Portugal with my family of four. Join me as I talk business, location independence, writing, travel, and so much more, all focused on building a life that is beyond better. Welcome. I am thrilled today to get to talk with Megan Stevenson all about traditional publishing, uh, which is a hot topic, and she really knows her stuff. So I'm going to give a quick intro about Megan, and then I will welcome her onto the podcast. Megan Stevenson is an editor, collaborator, ghostwriter, publishing expert, and CEO. As an expert in traditional publishing, Megan believes everyone can get the book deal of their dreams. She helps entrepreneurs and experts become published authors and has helped her clients earn more than $4 million from major publishers. Welcome, Megan. I'm really excited to get to have this conversation today. Same, Stacey. Thanks for having me on. So as somebody who's also in the publishing industry, I know that most of us have some kind of backstory with books, writing, something along those lines. And I'd love to hear yours. What inspired you to go into publishing and to do the work that you do today? Well, I've always been a reader. I mean, I think all of us in the industry, um, whether we Whenever we came around to the idea of the, of the book business, like we've always been readers. So I was definitely the kid that maxed out her library card and like convinced her mom to like go past the 13 book limit. I don't know why they said 13 books, but they definitely did. Cause I remember it stands out to me um, as a kid. And so that was always my thing. And when I went to college, I, in undergrad, I didn't really understand. One of my friends was working really, really fast through the curriculum. She wanted to graduate in three years. I thought that was crazy. I was like, why would you want to go work sooner? Like you're going to work for the rest of your life. Why would you want to do that? And I wanted to study abroad. I wanted to do all this stuff. So that led to a double major in communication studies, which was my primary uh, major, and then English, which English writing specifically, which was my secondary major. And a professor in the English program, I was debating going to grad school. And at the time, I wanted to get an MFA because I really liked writing. I've been writing my whole life. Um, and Basically, she very kindly told me that I wasn't a good enough writer for an MFA program and that I should think about publishing. She had a New York City agent. She had been traditionally published by Penguin for her novels, and she thought, hey, I might have a chance. So we investigated graduate programs, and I ended up at Pace University. And long story short, I landed an internship in 2004, the weekend I got to New York City and got a job by Thanksgiving of that year and 
that's the rest is history. Wow, what a story. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I, I think I hear this a lot from people who've journeyed into this industry or something that has to do with writing or, you know, anything book related. Um, that it's sometimes it's like that journey of figuring out like how do you actually make a living? Because we're taught from the time we start talking about like, oh, I want to be an author, that you're going to be broke and you're, you know, you're going to like suffer for the rest of your life. And I love that you have this story that has led you into the business that you have today that's enabling you to take this love that you have and like work in it every day and then also help other people achieve their dreams of writing books, which is like amazing. I love that you've gone that route. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really awesome like weird position to be in because I'm like a dream enabler and also slightly of a dream crusher sometimes, or I guess a realist. Um, But what I love about my job now working with educating authors um, and mostly educating entrepreneurs on how to become authors and then enabling them and teaching them all the tools that I know um, I get to kind of play all of my passions. I get to be a little bit of a product nerd because books are a product. I get to, talk about positioning and marketing and like entrepreneurial strategies. And it's just a really nice mix of everything I love to do. Mm. So uh, speaking of dream maker or dream crusher, I want to hear you talk a bit about the traditional path. And I know many people's ears are going to perk up when they hear this because many people, when they think of writing a book, becoming an author, this is what they, they desire. And And we'll talk a little bit later about other options and why they might be better fits for certain people. Um, But for those who are listening that they're like, oh, in my soul, this is what I have always wanted and I deeply desire a traditional deal. um, Talk a little bit about what it is and what that pathway looks like to get a traditional deal. And I would love for you to also talk about timeline. Like the time that it takes, because that's an so important everything. point. You, you want to know everything. <laughs> yes. Let's walk. Let's okay. walk just like high level, and we'll dig into sure. some specific points. Yeah. So high level. Let's talk about books. Book business is very diverse. So there's a million categories, and people, you know, people come to me and be like, "How do I get a picture book published?" And I'm like, "I have literally no clue," you know. And and fiction books. I haven't worked on a fiction book since probably 2010. So. I know nothing about that either. So let's just say those two caveats. The big thing that authors and entrepreneurs especially need to know about a book deal is that it's actually on the legal side, a license. So the publisher is paying to license your work, just like they would pay Taylor Swift to license her image to put her on t-shirts, right? That's a license. She gets paid for that. It's the same thing. So that's where like the money is, that's the legal agreement. That's sort of what a book deal really is on like a very practical, like, legal level. Now, in a more holistic level and a more soul level, a book deal is validation. A book deal is a huge piece of leverage for my entrepreneurs and authors, especially um, in what I work on, which is how to nonfiction. So like it leads to, you know, bigger and better things usually, like as long as they don't think the publisher is going to do all the promotion and marketing for them, which is just not the reality. Like as long as they come into it with an entrepreneurial spirit and approach it the same way they would a product launch or a new coaching offer or, you know, a new live event they're going to do, as long as they take that same approach to it, they're, they're just going to bomb.com it. They're going to do wonderfully. Most of my clients come to me with a dream of being a New York Times bestseller, which is a little nuanced because the New York Times list is a curated list. But that means selling about 20,000 copies in the first year. And that's a big lift. So we need to acknowledge that. So the pathway there is composed of three different things. I call them the three Ps, potential, platform, and proposal. So this only applies, again, to what I call prescriptive nonfiction, which is what most entrepreneurs and experts want to write. These are your self-help and how-to books. So personal finance, personal growth, parenting, love and relationships, anything uh, woo, like anything spiritual, right? And like the new agey spiritual realm. Um, Psychology, um, trying to think of what other categories we end up working in, certain issue books on, you know, social justice and feminism and DEI, 
all that stuff would be in this category, in this broad kind of range of books that we work on. So when I, when anyone comes to me, the first thing I ask is, are they writing the kind of book we work on? Um, the second thing I ask is, do I think this has potential in the market? Meaning that, do I think it can sell not only to a reader at the volume that we want to sell it at and what the traditional publishers want to sell it at, but also for, um, you know, a literary agent. Do I think a literary agent is going to look at this and say, oh my God, I can sell this to a publisher um, and will a publisher buy it? So that's all of my contention. I'm using all of my industry expertise, all of my category expertise to understand, okay, is this DEI book going to drown in the sea of DEI books right now, or is it going to stand out for some reason? So um, for example, our one and only DEI client that's working on a proposal with us right now is Brene Brown's DEI person. That's a pretty big deal, right? So that makes her stand out. Also, she has a cool, like funny approach to it, which I don't think most people think DEI and they think humor. So I like that. It was fresh and interesting. So that's the I first thing I'm looking at. For yeah, listeners, by the way, who haven't heard that acronym, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So yeah, I can see why that would maybe be different to have a, a humor angle to that. Right. And it's a huge, after George Floyd, George Floyd was murdered in 2020, there was a huge growth in that industry and therefore a huge push of books there too. Um, and most of the time, entrepreneurs and authors are late to that push. So like if we're going to sell a DEI book now, after sort of the demand has waned, we need something really fresh and interesting. Um, so that's potential. So that's the first hurdle. I make all those decisions still as the CEO of this company um, on whether I think somebody has potential. The next thing is platform. So this for entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that do work primarily online, this is your audience. This is your marketing. This is your email list, your social media, your speaking engagements, your network, all those areas where if you have a product to launch or a service to offer, you're going to be pushing that stuff out anyway. I'm here for that. You're here for that podcast. Great example, right? So author platform is a big piece because the book publisher is working on thousands of books every year and they rely on the author to bring the readers. You know, it that's just the state of the industry. It's been the state of the industry for a really long time. Um, I would say it's been the state of the industry for as long as you and I have been alive. People love to lament this piece, but it's just a reality. I don't even argue it anymore. I don't even want to like the people in traditional publishing love books and they work their asses off for not a lot of money. And so like, I really feel strongly about this piece of like the author needs to bring their audience to the table, especially in how to and entrepreneurship. Um, you should be excited about building your author platform anyway, because growing your audience, as you know, as an entrepreneur, like anything we can do to market our audience, get it in front of more people, get our services in front of more people, um, any of that is going to grow our business or it should, right? So we have a platform builders membership. Um, it's $3.99 a month. If you're not earning that $3.99 back, you got to come talk to me because there's something wrong, right? Because these visibility, like there's certain foundational work where you're not going to make any money, right? sitting down, writing a quarter's worth of emails before you even send them out. You're not going to make money on that. But eventually, you should be getting that ROI back. So that's author platform. And the last piece is proposal. So this is the document that we write for our clients. This is a done-for-you service. Um, and we, the proposal is works on a couple different reasons. First of all, editors are super busy. Editors are who acquire the rights. They make you the book deal. Um, editors are super busy. They get anywhere from 10 to 100 of these a week. And so they need them to be to the point, they need them to be excellent. And they're kind of like a combination of a really annotated outline um, editorially, and then also a business plan from the marketing and like launching perspective. So that's, that's my specialty. I'm very good at it. Um, I've had agents tell me I'm the best at it in this certain little online entrepreneurship world. Um, I haven't seen anybody else's work, so I can't say that, but I, I would say that our results speak for themselves. So um, like you said, 4 million all across the board. We had our first million dollar project um, sell this year. Last year, most of our authors got six figure advances. The only people who didn't um, were second time authors and I got them six figures the first time around. So uh, we just have great results on that. So the proposal is really special. 
because it is that business plan on steroids. It's your calling card when you go to an agent and when you go to a publisher. I've never seen an author written one that is any good or that doesn't need heavy revisions. And that's just because it's a weird document that hopefully for most of my authors, they'll only have to do once because if their book or when their book is successful, the literally the second book is usually sealed on an email, right? It's usually like, hey, Stacey, would you like to write the second book on blah, 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 blah. And you have to you like come to me and you're like, can we write a book on blah, 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 blah? Do you think that's possible? I'll be like, sure, let's do it. So that's, it's really easy after that first lift. For a lot of our clients, they hire us for proposal because it's below their pay grade um, to spend all this time learning something they have to do once. It's kind of like learning the back end of like Gubsado or your CRM. It's like you could do that or you could hire somebody to set it up for you. So it is a unique skill set. I mean, really. And I think also just knowing how to um, like talk marketing speak, like write things in a way that are making the case that this book will sell and that you have a clear yeah. strategy. Um, I love that you have these three pillars, potential platform and proposal. I'd love to go back to the topic of marketability. Mm-hmm. I This is hard for people who have, you know, an idea that they deeply believe in. And, and you know, I find oftentimes that, you know, authors, they'll have this sense that like, if only I could get in front of the right person, my book would, you know, definitely, you know, be a bestseller. And sometimes it is a matter of taking that idea and like, sometimes it's like shifting it a little bit so that it actually has like a clear marketable angle. And sometimes it's acknowledging that like, maybe this book idea actually isn't going to sell after all. So I would love to hear from you, you know, when you get, you said, "I, I make all the decisions. What criteria are you running through when you look at a proposal and you say, you know, definitely yes or absolutely not? Sure. So it's, you know, I've been in this industry now for almost 20 years. So like my, I had to really slow down my thinking when I get asked questions like this. So a lot of it is on the author. We have a client who is in our platform builders membership that is relatively starting out. Like she's had a very long career in nursing and in healthcare for probably 30 or 40 years. Like her daughters are nurses. She basically was a nurse and admin, like all different kinds of things. And she's finally taking her business online. So she knows her stuff. She has a good offer. The the business itself would back up nicely into a book. That's really important to make sure that we can put a book into your funnel like into not only like just your marketing funnel, but also like the structure of your offers that it fits in there nicely, that it wouldn't be like, oh, all my offers are $20, right? So like a book doesn't really matter or like that sort of thing. So she's well positioned and she has a unique idea. And I think, yeah, that could work, right? Um, So I said yes to her. Now it's on her to some degree to build that platform, to send out those emails, to create the social media, to figure out the proof of concept, which is where a lot of authors, they have zero idea about proof of concept. And I don't mean that they don't know what they wanna write, but they don't know if anyone will like it. It's very similar to like when entrepreneurs create a new offer or create a new business entirely. Um, They don't know if anyone's gonna take it yet, right? They don't know what the market, they might think they know the market, but what the market actually will kick back to them um, when they actually get visible in market may be different than what they expect. So that's really what we're trying to figure out. That's one of the areas we cover in our membership is that we're like trying to find that proof of concept because once you do find it, then you can double down it. Then you can invest in it. Then you can run ads to it. Then you can do all these other things that then help to grow. Yeah, and I think a a layer I'd like to add to this too, this is my personal perspective, so I'd love to get your insights on this. Like, I believe that there is inherent value in writing books for the sake of writing books, but also you have to be realistic about your book's uh, ability to sell in the marketplace. And so what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, if you want to go the traditional route, Versus like writing a legacy book for your family or, you know, something that's really on your heart to write. 
that's a, that's that's different than you know going into this traditional route and seeking a book deal with a big publisher. I think that's where it can be difficult for uh, aspiring authors to vet that themselves, right? Because it's so mm-hmm. close to them. Yeah, I mean that's a big part of why I don't work on memoir anymore either, is because it's so close to the author's heart that it's like almost impossible to make it commercial. Versus an entrepreneur writing a how-to book, like, yeah, do you still care? Yes, of course. Like, they're very deep into it. It's their proprietary methods. It's their hard work. But they're a lot less close to it. I think there's a big difference between writing and writing a book. And I, I want to really distinguish that because a lot of my clients come and they think, oh, they like, if they have no audience or their audience is big enough that they're like, I want to go hidey hole and write this book. I really want to write my 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 book. And I'm like, great, write some emails. And I get a ton of objection or pushback on that, resistance to that. And I'm like, writing is writing is writing to me. So it's like, if you like, cause what is the purpose of the book? I think that's the better question. What is the purpose of the book? The purpose of the book is to help people. Well, you can do that right now, right? By making yourself visible and making your solutions available to people. They don't know you exist, right? So doing that is helpful. Um, and you're still writing, you know? So, but if you're writing a book more in the, I guess I, I don't want to say soul-centered because I think everybody's soul-centered when they come to their books, but in this more like, I need to get this off my heart way, then cool. It, that, like at that point, it doesn't really make a difference which route you take or whether it just sits on your computer or whether you like go get it bound at a Kinko's. It, it really doesn't matter um, that the outcome. It's all about, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with either option. You know, I'm pretty sure my mom has novels in the cedar chest. I'm going to find out later, you know, and that's totally fine. Um, but it's just about figuring out why, why you're writing this book and what you want the outcome to be, because that's where I see the biggest um, kind of magical thinking is that I have clients or not even clients. I have folks come to me and they say, you know, I self-published this book. I thought it would sell like crazy. And I said, did you market it or sell it? And they say, no. Did you promote it? No. Did you have an audience to promote it? No. Then in what world did you think it was going to sell? It's like, I live on an alleyway. It'd be like putting my lemonade stand in the alley for 10 people that live on the alley to see versus going three blocks away and putting it in the business district, right? It's just a difference. Yeah, there's, I think... What I'm hearing that you're getting at is there's like a level of intentionality and an understanding of the purpose that that book serves in the world. And, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll build on that with the the clients and students that I get to help through the actual writing process. I mean, we start with what is your vision and how is this book a catalyst for that vision? And it's even today I was thinking about like, this just this idea of the book being almost like a a pot for a plant and like what is growing out of that what's coming next is it speaking is it courses is it a membership is it consulting like what is that next thing is it more books like you know what is that thing that's growing out of it i think that's also helpful because a lot of people that really desire to write a book but they don't really know what that book's going to be about. Like they know they want to write one. They know they have a lot to offer. Maybe they have a super successful background or a lot of expertise like your nursing um, example, but they're not really clear on, you know, what that book could be for them. I think that purpose question, like what purpose does, like what job does this book do in the world essentially helps them narrow that into something that that would be hopefully marketable on the other side of it definitely so i didn't create all these like boundaries in my business or like sort of bumpers on my bowling lane um to be a jerk right that's not my intention i did it because i've seen what can happen when you don't have those bumpers so i've written proposals for people that had zero audience and they love the proposal it went nowhere. I've written proposals to people who thought they knew what their book was going to be, but then we actually wrote the proposal and my team member was like, I'm going to have to make stuff up. Is that okay? And I'm like, I guess, because she literally the author ran out of ideas on week three of our, you know, 12 week process. Like that is all 
a function of like using going back to your pot metaphor most people come to me with a very small pot with a plant bursting out of it and I would rather have plant being the idea right and then pot being the market I would much rather have a gigantic pot with a tiny little sapling in it Mm -hmm. yeah I love that example and this then brings me to a question I've been wanting to ask you and I know that listeners are waiting for me to ask you which is on building that platform I know you have a membership that digs into this in a more, you know, like I think coaching, guiding them through it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd love to hear, um, number one, just what is a platform? Because I know like that word gets just thrown around and yeah. people don't actually know what it means in a tangible way. So let's start there. And then I'd love to hear, you know, somebody comes in to, you know, your membership, let's say, what are the first few things that you tell them to do to start getting some momentum building their their audience? Sure. So I like to think about platform. There's kind of two different ways to think about it. These are two like visual analogies. The first is like an old timey old west like town, right? Where you have a town square and someone literally is standing on like a milk crate. Like talking right or like a street preacher kind of thing that's literally where the platform comes from right that's where that's where it came from that's the initial platform was someone standing on like a milk crate in the town square so think about it that way the more modern example are those like coke machines that at like gas stations or 7-elevens where you can make your own mix of coke right so you or sodas right so you have coca-cola and you have tropicana orange soda and you have Fanta and you have Diet Coke and you have Sprite and you have Dr. Pepper, all those different, and you can make like whatever mix you want, right? So for most of my entrepreneurs who want to become authors, that those levers are things like email lists, social media, whether you're on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever that is, Facebook, social media. Um, It could be speaking engagements. Um, Facilitation is something people underestimate. So that's you going in and teaching other people your method. Um, so like that could be as simple for entrepreneurs as guest speaking in somebody else's membership or at someone else's event. Um, your network is huge of people that, you know, you and I are in each other's network. We, you know, we do things for each other. If I asked you to do something, you'd be like, sure, cool. If you asked me to be on the podcast, I'd say, sure, cool. That's, that's huge and very underrated among a lot of my platform builders, um, And then we also, you know, look for media to some degree. Um, Media kind of works like that person that magically makes your book sell, right? It used to be really big. Now it's less so, Um, but it is still important. And they like, publishers just like to see it because they're in New York. Media is a big deal there. And so they they like to see it. Um, Another aspect can be client results and client testimonials. If you have an audience that will walk and talk and like, sell your book for you. That's amazing. And that's what's made a lot of my clients very, very successful is that their, their members, their clients, their audience are diehard fans. And so that's um, a big deal. I'm trying to think of, I know I'm missing one more and I, I can't quite think of it. Um, well, celebrity clients, their certainly. website, right? Like their home on the internet too. I think that people don't even often like start building that when they're launching their books or any of the social stuff until they're getting close to launch. And those types of things are so important to build early all to your of, point. All of these things are like compound interest, right? The earlier you can get them going, the better off you are. Um, the website I like to think of as like a home on the internet. There's certain businesses that still rely on like unique page views and that kind of thing. Like if you're one of our clients has a platform of like caregivers that is her main part of her platform. Um, but primarily the website, like people expect a website to do way more than it does for them. Um, and so like just having a home on the internet, like you said, is a great place to start, um, but it's not gonna promote for you, right? Like you need something that's gonna direct people to your website, whether that's your social, whether that's a promotion, whether that's ads, whatever that is. Um, so all those different levers make up a platform. And then what I'm doing in the proposal a lot of times is demonstrating how you can pull those levers for the book in order to sell that 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 copies. Um, Because the publisher is also on their end, the publisher and the agent, the agent is working on spec. So the agent's trying to say, am I going to 
work for free on this project, basically. And they don't want the answer to be yes. They want the answer to be no, I think this is going to sell for a lot of money. And I'm going to make a dope commission, right? Um, versus the publisher who's like, is this a good bet, right? Does the profit and loss, when I put in how many books they want to sell with how much it costs me to produce this book make sense? Does it make my number of profitability? And so that's what they're looking at. So it's a very, it's not personal. That's the big thing. It's not personal. And it's usually not even on the idea most of the time. We had two books that sold last year that were very, very similar. And people still wanted both of them. They actually got the same advance, which was funny too, but like people wanted both of them because they both had audiences to sell to. One thing I'd love to to drive home to is that all of this, the putting the proposal piece aside, everything you said about platform matters no matter what route you take for publishing. And, and also to your earlier point, just because you get a traditional publisher, it doesn't mean that they're like going to take, in fact, they won't take care of all of this marketing for you. So getting that, you know, that momentum going and already having tested out and grown and tried, you know, tried things and stuff doesn't work and this does and like learning even your voice as a marketer that is it's a growth area like learning how to write a compelling email that people actually want to read and how to sell in a non-slimy way and like you know how to um, manage all of your content internally there's a lot to that and if you wait to the end if you're self-publishing hybrid publishing you're going to be struggling because you're going to be trying to like spin up this marketing side that you've never done before to nobody versus if you start early you will have this you know hopefully this audience of people even if it's not gigantic at least you'll have somebody there excited to you know receive your book to buy it to share it but i i just feel like it's so i, I hear a lot oh i'll think about that later like i'm not going to worry about that right now i'll think about it later but these days and you to your point like for many decades you really can't do that yes and it's funny because it'll make the book better yes true if you're not if you're not siloed thinking a lot of people come to me and I sometimes I you might hear it in my voice throughout this whole podcast like my frustration and because it's just like it's just the same stuff over and over again so folks will come to me and they'll say, this worked for me, right? Because it's self-help. So this worked for me. Well, great. Go see if it'll work for everybody else, right? Because you need such a volume of folks. Um, but it's not just that. It's also like, are you a unicorn? Did it only work for you? And it's not going to work for anybody else. Or is your hypothesis true? Does it hold across a broad will you help other people or are you just putting out your solution that doesn't work for anybody else and you may in fact then harm people right so I think like when it comes to that it's publishing at a to some degree is the same no matter what path you take whether you take self-publishing or actually not publishing a successful book is true no matter what path you take no matter if it's self-published, no matter if it's hybrid published or whether it's traditional. If you have a method that works really well for people, if you have a voice people love to interact with that are fans of, if you can market and sell something and know that this book is part of your greater legacy and therefore you're going to put everything you can into it, then it's going to be a successful book. And then the only question becomes distribution and who pay who pays for it like where the money gets distributed. Yes. Yes. And I, I love that we segued a little bit into other publishing options too, because one of the things that, as we talked about at the top of this discussion, you know, many people that want to write a book, they have stars in their eyes thinking about traditional publishing, but there are other options out there. And they're also, the, the other thing that I'll say about traditional is that the timeline can be so long that for many people, they, they just don't wanna go through, you know, the proposal to the agent, to the pitching, to the timeline to publish, which can mm-hmm. be years. And they prefer to go, you know, a different route that's a little bit faster or a lot faster sometimes to market. So I'd love to hear from you on, you know, what are some considerations that somebody listening who's maybe like, wow, maybe I don't want to go traditional after all, after hearing like all the, all this stuff. 
the the two other op core options that they have would be self-publishing and hybrid or partner publishing. Can you talk a little bit about those and maybe give an example, even hypothetical, of a, a book author that might be better off going one of those routes than pursuing the traditional route? Sure. So let's talk about hybrid first, because that's the like what I think of as the next step down. So hybrid publishers operate a lot like traditional publishers. They have big staffs. They have editorial support, often marketing support. I recently talked to a author who got an offer um, for $40,000 from one of the major um, hybrid publishers. She would pay $40,000, but that would include marketing support, which I actually thought was probably a pretty good deal. Um, it, you know, depending on what kind of marketing and public PR they were going to do for her. Um, they have similar distribution to the traditionals. They don't have as good of distribution into the indies. And distribution sounds boring, but if you are a shop small person and you want to support local businesses, which I think all of us as entrepreneurs should do, um, then that distribution will matter to you because you'll, with hybrid and self, it could be limited. So the hybrid publisher, you pay for them to produce the book, right? They all differ in terms of royalty structure, um, but you do get that support and you do get project management, which I think is an underrated part of the publishing process. So someone manages that project or that product for you, right? Manages the whole production. I think hybrid is best when you have an audience and you have a marketable book, but for whatever reason, it's not viable for traditional publishing. I have a client, his name is Daryl Kirkpatrick. He did three or four books, and they're little, they're like, you know, 30,000 words. They're too short for a traditional publisher, right? And they're all on, on niche topics. They're all on like retiring early and the different facets of how you do that. He's part of the FIRE community. I actually used to work on a lot of FIRE books that were all hybrid or self-published. And that's a great example of a market, <coughs> excuse me, a market where it makes sense to hybrid or direct publish because they have a direct audience, they're marketing directly to them, they don't need the support of a traditional publisher, um, and they have the cash to put up front, right? And they're very financially minded, so like the money matters to them. Self-publishing is the wild, wild west. And self-publishing is, I, I actually don't know much about it because I wanna hold the line that I don't know much about it. It's constantly changing. The, the ads I get served up make some bold statements that I don't really support. The reason self-publishing has the reputation that it's better is because they put out way more ads than traditional publishers do because the traditional publishers don't need to recruit authors. They're swimming at authors, right? They have too many authors. They have to put agents in between them and the authors for the most part because y'all are, there's a lot of you. <laughs> and then, but like that's, there. Um, so they put out a lot of misinformation, frankly, about the traditional publishing industry. Like the idea that they'll steal your ideas, traditional publishers steal your ideas is the craziest thing I've ever heard. The idea that you won't make any money off a traditionally published book is also incorrect. Um, the bulk of my clients don't make the most revenue off the book itself, but everything that comes along with the book. So the additional speaking engagements, the TED Talks, the the, you know, corporate engagements, the more facilitations, the, you know, the bonus of having more people join their programs and services because they read the book, all of those sorts of things is what really makes them the revenue and the money, not necessarily the book itself, but they can make money on the book itself. Like if you're bringing, even with a six figure advance, not only do you get that six figure advance, but when you do what I, what's called earning out, so you earn back all the money the publisher invested in that, then you do get a royalty. Is it small? Sure. But at volume, like Stephen King is not complaining. <laughs> Rachel Hollis is not complaining. Mark Manson is not complaining about their splits, right? Um, and so that's a big piece of misinformation as well. So the good part about self-publishing is that it allows folks who don't ever want to market, feel allergic to marketing, don't have a business associated with their book, wanted to share their story and like quote unquote put it out there if you just want it out there and you're happy with like five to ten people reading it a month 
great. Self-publishing is a wonderful place for you. Um, I have a client. Her name is Martha Callahan. She's a geriatric nurse, I believe. It's been a few years. Um, And she watched her husband pass away and literally saw his spirit leave his body. And so now she helps people do that. So she wrote a memoir about that. It's short. It's probably like 40,000 words. It was really personally significant to her. I helped her edit it and get it in what I thought was publishable shape. And now it's out in the world. That is a great example of somebody who should self-publish, right? Um, I had another client whose husband, she's a beautiful woman. She's a former model. um, And he wanted to do a beautifully designed, really high-end, four-color photo book. Awesome for actually even like not even self-publishing. That's like offset. It's like I made one copy or two copies. Wonderful, wonderful option for that. Um, but the thing about self-publishing that I think people don't realize is that they have to pay for everything. Often they have to project manage it or pay for a project manager. And if they haven't done their research on what other books are out there and they haven't done their research on what makes a book successful, then they're very likely to be disappointed and hurt and angry, which is what I see a lot when we talk to people who have self-published and not sold very many copies. Yeah, it's to your point about project management, what I will tell my clients and students when they self-publish is that a self-publishing project manager is their best friend. They need support with helping manage that project. And I agree with all of your points. I would add with self-publishing that I've seen a number of people who have very intentionally self-published as part of their kind of funnel, um, whether it's like to as a lead magnet to attract clients or it's, um, you know, part of their, you know, funnel to get them in, to get people into programs or consulting engagements, whatever. But they've done it with a lot of intentionality and they understood that they were going to need to make the marketing investments to make it a book that could stand next to a traditionally published book and hold its weight, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where to your point, I think there there is a lot of, um, you know, this idea that like, oh, you can just go and publish a book. Well, that's just not true. It, it's, it's actually a ton of work uh, if you want to do it well. Yeah, you can go and like upload your manuscript and publish it on, you know, KDP, but um, to actually produce a really excellent book that does take resources and again, where I've seen that be effective is with business owners, typically entrepreneurs who understand this, how this book fits in with their revenue model and they're very intentional about it. And also they're often planning to produce many more. So they have like a whole library that they're planning to do and they want to um, learn the process and get somebody on their team who can like manage the project future. But to your point, I think that's that's a little bit more rare than the average uh, person that's that's coming out to self-publish just on their own. Totally. And the other thing that people should know, too, is that there's a lot of marketing out there from fellow entrepreneurs that say, you know, I self-published these two books and now I have a traditional published deal. And they went and bought my backlist. That actually happened to a client of mine. But that happened in 2018. And so that is not really the case anymore. You would have to have a book that sold a lot and still has a ton of upsell. Um, so it's still relevant after that long of that time that it's still bu- selling, um, you know, hundred copies a week. It's still doing all these things for you. That's when the traditional publisher is gonna be interested. For the most part, I can't rescue someone who has, or resuscitate, it's not really rescuing, I can't resuscitate somebody who self-published a book, didn't sell it, and now wants to repackage it or try it again in the same vein. It's just not going to work because the publisher is going to look at the past sales history and say, well, you know, Jenny didn't sell any copies of this book. We can see that. What's going to be different about this book? And it had to be a pretty compelling story of like, it's a totally different category. It's you know, one of our clients wrote like a lead magnet, like you said, but her business has changed. Well, there, that works, right? It's got to be these other stories. But for the most part, what I, even in our application process, we have a question that says, did you self-publish? And it says, yes. And then it goes to how many copies did you sell? And if people say less than 5,000, we say, 
you're not a great fit. And it's not because we want to kill people's dreams. It's just because the attitude that led to that outcome is persistent enough and makes an already hard process of getting a book deal nearly impossible. Yeah. Well, and I think just to anchor listeners into, you know, where what you're talking about here is traditional publishing specifically. And these are hard truths about traditional publishing that I think many people don't realize when they when they enter this world. What mm-hmm. I find so amazing about, you know, the place we're in in publishing is that there are other options for people who have a book that they want to publish, regardless of the purpose. So whether that purpose is really connected to a big vision to their business, or they are writing like a legacy project, you know, like the one that you talked about earlier. And I think that's a really hopeful message. And I'm so glad that we got to dig into some of the specifics on, you know, if you really desire that traditional deal, like, here are the things that you need to know going into it. So Megan, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I'd love to know what you're most excited about right now and where people can learn more about you. Of course. Um, So I'm really excited because education like this is a really big piece of why I do what I do. I love to educate folks. Um, If people are listening to this pod and they go, wow, I thought I, you know, want to traditionally publish and now I don't want any part of that. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm happy. I did my part, right? Um, I'm really excited because I'm doing a first of its kind workshop um, for $99 in September. That's all about basically expounds about what we talk about, right? How do you become a best-selling traditionally published author? That's what I'm going to cover. It's going to be one day, tons of value, tons of expertise, live Q&A, hot seat coaching. You'll get to talk to my clients and hear about the process, especially about what people think is like the worst part, which is the platform building. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. It's the first time I'm doing it. And I'm just really thrilled um, about that. Um, where folks can find me, I'll actually send, I'll hook you up with an asset of mine that I think will come in handy for your audience. It's um, three tips entrepreneurs need to know about getting a book deal. Um, but you can always find me on Instagram. I'm at Meg Stevenson, M-E-G-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N and MeganStevenson.com. That's Megan with an H. So M-E-G-H-A-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N.com. I would be so terrible if I like misspelled my name. I'm like so afraid <laughs> of that. Uh, Well, Megan, thank you. This has been so great. And I know you've given so much value to people who are thinking about going this route. And I'll be sure to link to your September class workshop that you're doing. And thanks again for your time today. Oh, thank you, Stacey. It's been a blast. And uh, thanks, everybody. Good luck on your book. This podcast is produced by me, Stacey Ennis. Special thanks to Daniel Alexander for sound editing and Catherine Fishman for project support. These two make the show possible and I'm grateful. You can always access show notes, including any links mentioned in this episode at stacyennis.com podcast. And you can connect with me at stacyennis.com, on Instagram at Stacey Ennis, or on Facebook at Stacey Ennis Creative. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Here's to building lives that are beyond better.